This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Xiao Ik. For our public health segment today, my co-host joins me, Azro Mohamad Khalib, CEO of the Galen Centre for Health and Social Policy. And we'll be discussing um, vaping today, uh, vape addiction in particular. Um, coming off the back of a recent study or survey from the Malaysian Vape Chamber of Commerce, uh, where they looked at the country's vape industry trends and just a very quick look at some top-line results the number of adult vape or e-cigarette users in Malaysia increased by 27% from 2019 to 2022. And in terms of numbers, that's 1.1 million in 2019 to 1.4 million in 2022. So um, joining Azrul and I on the show today, consultant psychiatrist, Associate Professor Dr. Amir Siddiq, who's also Chief Coordinator for University Malaya Centre for Addiction Sciences, and will be exploring vaping trends from a public health as well as some addiction angle and we want to discuss concerns that the increasing availability of vape products could lead to an increase in addiction and uh, the use of uh, this habit among Malaysians. Thank you so much for joining me, Azrul and Dr. Amir. How are the both of you today? Uh, good, thanks. Thanks a lot for having me again. It's good to uh, see Azrul as well uh, on this show with me. Well, you know, Shaui, it's been a busy week. It seems like the wicked never rests. So busy, busy, busy. That's you right there on top of the list. <laughs> Azrul, yeah. um, set the stage for us in terms of uh, what are the numbers we're seeing from this uh, Malaysian Vape Chamber of Commerce report in terms of the use of vape and e-cigarettes in Malaysia? Well, you know, uh, Shawit, we've um, seen quite a number of reports come out over the uh, past couple of years concerning uh, vape and the uh, trend of uh, vape users and people who are uh, using uh, e-cigarettes. And um, some of it's come from the Ministry of Health, some of it's come from the industry. And today, uh, most recently, the Malaysian Vape Chamber of Commerce, as you mentioned, you know, they, they released their uh, latest report, uh, which looks at uh, the number of adult vape or e-cigarette users in Malaysia. And it seems like uh, we've seen an increase uh, from the 2019 uh, numbers of around 27% um, from 1.1 million in 2019 to now uh, 1.4 million in 2022. So it's quite interesting here that uh, the industry is actually charting an increase in their consumers. And this is something that, uh, you know, on the surface of it, um, it is starting to compete with cigarettes, I think, in terms of, of uh, people who are uh, vaping and perhaps some of them are moving from uh, cigarettes to vape. Uh, some of them could be uh, both vaping and smoking and some of them could be new users altogether. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we're worried about is, you know, what kind of proportion are adolescents? Because the idea really uh, is that we want to see less uh, nicotine addiction mm-hmm. uh, rather than more. But let me just uh, cite some data from the National Health Mobility Survey. And this is something that's uh, going to contrast here yeah, against the uh, industry's report. Uh, and that is the National Health and Mobility Survey 2022 uh, recently uh, recorded a similar increase. But the increase that they have recorded is actually amongst teenagers mm-hmm. aged 13 to 17. 
So, you know, back in 2017, it was around 9.8% uh, of respondents and were basically those who were users were 13 to 17. Now it's 15% or 14.9% uh -huh. in 2022. So uh, this is bad enough. But in the same way that we look at cigarette smokers amongst women and girls as an indicator of where we are, yeah. we also look at vape and e-cigarette usage amongst uh, teenage girls, and we find that there has been a significant increase. In the same study, it, it found that from 2.8% in 2017, now it's 6.2% in 2022. And this is worrying because the industry report this time around omits those below the age of 18. And this is a, a worrying omission because it... it basically does not acknowledge in the industry report that actually we have uh, people who vape and, and use e-cigarettes who are actually technically underage, mm -hmm. if you would consider the, the smoking threshold of above the age of 18. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's where we are at the moment. There's a lot more to talk about, really, uh, obviously, concerning trends. Mm -hmm. But I think this is some of the more uh, worrying um, concerns that we are seeing right now when it comes to uh, vape and e-cigarettes, which is predominantly occurring amongst young people. Dr. Amir, from a um, nicotine research perspective, um, do you see that being reflected in any other data uh, that you're looking at or in the use of addiction services? Well, I think first of all, uh, just reflecting on what you've just mentioned, it sounds like a scary picture that we're looking at. And I think it really is a scary picture. I mean, if you're chatting with parents out there, and we've done a lot of school engagements with teachers and with parents, then uh, what you have reported seems to be what's on the ground. In fact, the recent Guardian just sort of published some similar data that they're seeing even in the UK, where an, a large number of young people are using oh. e-cigarettes. And I think this uh, is also seen also in Australia to the point that they've actually had to act on, on this as well. So what you're reporting is uh, something of concern, and I think this is where this discussion about Generation Endgame comes in, uh, just to give a bit of context as well. So what are we seeing uh, at the moment? So there's a recent data, well, not so recent, but recent enough, uh, 2021, um, that was a study was published by colleagues in John Hopkins, which actually showed that about 30% of, of individuals who were, smoke, uh, who were vaping uh, jewel products uh, at its heyday were probably uh, among the youth population or young people population, which means that when it was at its peak, whatever um, gains that were made uh, by that particular company, 30% uh, of them were coming from young people's um, contribution. And I, I think if we were to extrapolate what was happening there at that time, then definitely there would be some of these numbers that would um, project uh, as well in, into these numbers that we're looking at. Now, we also have to remember that if we're looking at the data that's been discussed in 2022, uh, even if you looked much earlier, there was a study that we did among young people, uh, particularly university students, uh, which found that there was a significant proportion of them, about 30% of them, that were already vaping at that point of view. And if they moved up into the value chain, uh, similarly with the old studies of uh, TECMA, which was the young people study on e-cigarette, there was a proportion of them that were not supposed to be vaping, but they were vaping. All of those people now have probably become adults because that study was done about five years ago. So if they were about 16, 17, they'll be around 21 or 22 now. 
and they will be captured in the data. So yes, we can see that the mistakes of the past have definitely shown uh, its figures in 2022. And I think uh, that's concerning already. Now, the one that you rightly pointed out that's extremely concerning is from, as far as I remember, when we're discussing about cigarettes among young people, among women particularly, not young people, among women, it has always been something we're proud of, less than 1%. But if you're looking into the trend of e-cigarettes, and we already saw this trend happening much earlier, around 2017, if I'm mistaken, and now you've pointed out that that, that jump uh, has just gone up to 6%. And th I think that's worrying because we have to remember these are you know, young people that they're studying and these young people will eventually become adults. Uh, and then they will then continue their addiction towards nicotine. Now, more importantly as well, in Malaysia particularly, we have a significant proportion of um, adults where they're talking about using e-cigarettes are actually dual users. And, and I think the numbers of people that are using e-cigarettes and how people are using cigarettes are probably going to be the same. And that's why if you look at the data about prevalence of smoking, it doesn't drop that much. You know, I, I think that's quite interesting, isn't it? Because all the other, stat all the other countries, when they talk about a rise in e-cigarettes, they show a drop in cigarette consumption. Ours is a bit different. We see a rise in e-cigarette and we see a minimal drop. And I think this is, again, the, maybe this is just something that's happening in our country where... Both are highly available. They're both rather affordable. So there's no real reason for individuals to stop their um, cigarette use with e-cigarettes. So it's, it's more of a, you know, utilizing it as an option maybe in certain circumstances or maybe they just want a different feel at that point of time. And that's what we're seeing anyways in terms of the data. People are saying that, you know, they just wanted to try it out. They're trying it out for whatever reason. So this could be some of the... Um, explanations about why that, that has not happened in our particular country. And I think the third one uh, that we really want to talk about as well, and I think this is the most important one, is about um, the, the individuals that have never smoked but are now vaping uh, and cannot seem to stop, right? Um, so this is the most, to me, the most concerning. And I think in 2018, I think from a second, when we did our study among young people, about 34% of university students were already sharing that they were exclusive vapors. They've never actually smoked at that point of time. Now, mm. I'm not sure whether these kids, uh, if we were to follow them up now, whether they would have moved into using cigarettes. But the fact that during that period of time, you've really got exclusive vapors, uh, which people had said before had, could not happen, has happened. And in fact, I, I quote in 2015 when I went on The Star saying that there's going to be a, a period of time that you're going to get people who are addicted to nicotine who have never smoked. And now we've already seen that particular problem happening because of this particular situation that we're in. We'll go for a quick break and come back to continue our discussion about vaping in Malaysia and the increasing threat of vape addiction, especially among young people. Joining me in the studio, Associate Professor Dr. Amir Siddiq, Consultant Psychiatrist and Chief Coordinator for University Malaya's Centre for Addiction Sciences and my co-host on Zoom, Azrul Mohamad Khalib, CEO of the Galen Centre for Health and Social Policy for our public health show today. Stay tuned. We'll be right back on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. 
Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoik, and my co-host for our public health show today, Azrul Muhammad Khalib from the Galen Centre for Health and Social Policy. Joining us, Associate Professor Dr. Amir Sidek, Consultant Psychiatrist and Chief Coordinator for University of Malaya's Centre for Addiction Sciences. We are discussing vape trends in Malaysia and what these and other observations tell us about the increasing threat of vape addiction, especially among children and young people. You know, um, just to... Um follow through uh, from what uh, Prof. Amir just mentioned just now, uh, again, uh, citing some uh, illuminating uh, findings from the uh, Malaysian uh, Vape Industry Study 2023, which was uh, published by the Malaysian Vape Chamber of Commerce. Uh, and it's important for us to look at the industry's own studies and figures uh, to, to get a feel of where things are also. And in their own study, it found that eight in 10 adult vape users were aged below 40, you know, and 7 in 10 vape users actually still smoke. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there is that argument that's being made right now that uh, vape users are actually people who are trying to quit smoking. And uh, there's been very little um, evidence to show that there's been a successful transition from uh, one form of harm to another, uh, in which case vape is being represented by the lesser harm mm -hmm. and people are basically weaning off cigarette smoking altogether in Malaysia. Mm -hmm. uh, now a lot of people are going to cite two decades old studies uh, to, to us concerning the use of vape as a so-called harm reduction tool but really the new studies have shown that perhaps the reverse is true which is that vape is actually a new form of uh, nicotine delivery device that is intended uh, for uh, a market that is now increasingly younger and it's being targeted for a uh, new group of consumers in the same way that we saw back in the 60s and 70s, you know, where uh, tobacco was very much uh, at its peak. Now, you know, if you look at the study again, the MVCC's report, back in 2021, it found that a third of vape users were female. Mm -hmm. And this is something that is um, worrying because Today, we see more and more uh, women and girls, especially those adolescents who are uh, taking up uh, vape and e-cigarettes in the way that we saw back in the 60s and 70s where, you know, slim cigarettes were being targeted for women because it was considered, you know, cool and it's the in thing to do, but mm -hmm. also it's, it's acceptable rather than the, the normal type of cigarette. So right now, we see a lot of designs that are going uh, for a different target market, which is uh, young who are possibly with uh, purchasing power of a certain kind and female. Um, you know, Prof. Amir just mentioned about some of the other countries that have been looking at this issue of vape and they're finding that uh, it's becoming um, a, a crisis that is replacing the tobacco uh, addiction of nicotine amongst young people. So. Today, we find that disposables especially, which are relatively inexpensive. And I saw that recently, the price of disposables has gone up slightly because of the tax that the government has imposed uh, on uh, these products. But it's only gone up by two or three ringgit. So it's not exactly prohibitive. You know, people can still buy uh, these disposables at 25 ringgit, 23 ringgit, and they can use it for maybe up to two weeks. So if you look at it in terms of cost effectiveness, to be honest, 
as a nicotine delivery device and something to, to uh, cater to the addiction uh, of nicotine, compared to cigarettes, vape and e-cigarettes seemingly are the more cost-effective uh, option. Uh, that is basically uh, easily available, it's inexpensive, and it delivers a bigger kick uh, because the nicotine concentration is very high in Malaysia mm. compared to cigarettes. And this is where, uh, rather than uh, having a solution to a problem, we're actually creating a new problem. And we're seeing more and more young people addicted to nicotine. Yeah, that's why you see countries starting to ban disposable vapes already, exactly. right? Um, on that note, Dr. Amir, talk to us a little bit about nicotine addiction through using vape um, and especially when it's starting in such young people. Uh, what are your concerns from an addiction perspective? Well, I think, first of all, um, you know, we, we talked about uh, this quite a bit, whereby when we're looking at the addiction towards uh, cigarettes or this thing called electronic cigarettes, it's going to be the nicotine within these particular products that appeals or actually um, gets, you hooked. Uh, gets you hooked or allows individuals to have difficulties in actually stopping uh, their use of these particular products. And that's why it's highly addictive. Now, more importantly, we know from a number of research, it was studied by DeFranza on Hooked On study many years ago, which sort of indicated that if you're going to try one cigarette, you're going to probably start your life being addicted towards uh, nicotine because at that point of time, the only way for you to get um, cig uh, nicotine is going to be through cigarettes uh, or maybe methods to quit, but I've never really heard people getting hooked on uh, smoking cessation products at the moment, it's always been cigarettes. Now, uh, over in 2015, at least for us in Malaysia, then we were introduced to e-cigarettes in a big way, and individuals were starting to get hooked on nicotine through these e-cigarette devices. And in fact, uh, it's been proven because at one point when we didn't have any, or we had limited regulations of some sort, uh, we had this thing called uh, non-nicotine electronic cigarettes that were available. As a result of that, these non-nicotine electronic cigarettes, they don't really sell very much. Uh, in fact, this is exactly what the sellers were telling me when, when I just asked them these questions. So it is the nicotine within the product that actually hooks these individuals and keeps them continuing this particular addiction. And we've seen this as well with cigarettes. I mean, cigarettes have done a number of studies. They've done uh, low nicotine cigarettes, which some countries are trying to roll out. From second New Zealand is thinking about this. We've talked about very low nicotine concentration cigarettes have come out. They've also, um, at some point, uh, as we've seen in e electronic cigarettes, non-nicotine uh, electronic cigarettes. So these low nicotine, non-nicotine, they don't really sell, which means that there is something within these particular products, i.e. the nicotine, that gets individuals hooked. Now, we've done a lot of studies looking at nicotine, and I know that a lot of people have said that, okay, it's not as harmful as combustibles, I agree. But for young people's brains that are developing until about 21 to 24 years old, the addition of uh, nicotine early on in their brain causes definitely changes in the brain. And we've seen this again in multiple research. I mean, we're not even talking about, you know, the vapor, for example, in electronics. We're just talking about the nicotine itself and how it affects the brain. There's definitely going to be some changes once you introduce it early on in the development of individuals which causes then uh, individuals to have changes which might lead them to being lifelong uh, users. And we've seen this already in cigarettes. 
uh, are we going to wait until we see this again in e-cigarettes? Well, we've waited long enough, to be fair, and we're already seeing this too. So this is why we are extremely concerned about it. Now, um, we also know that with regards to electronic cigarettes, although it's probably less harmful in combustibles, but it does have its own risk as well. So apart from the nicotine, you're going to get all these other metals that comes out from the uh, electronic cigarettes. And again, for young developing lungs, for example, there's going to be definitely some harm there. Whether there's going to be a cancer risk in the future, we're not really sure. It's still quite early. Even for cigarettes, we only found that out about 50 years later or so. But already, we know that from the data that's existing for nicotine, that once individuals start, and now there's almost literally, uh, it's like a free-for-all at the moment, we're going to get individuals that are continuing to use, and then we're going to have uh, problems later on in the future. Mm. Will people experience a longer period of addiction and more difficulty quitting if they start younger? The answer would be yes, that's how it. Um, so if you get individuals, remember cigarettes to a certain level, you've regulated such a way that, uh, not to say we've not had young people smoking, it's just that because of the regulation, you're going to have less young people smoking just because uh, of the uh, laws that we've put mm-hmm. in place. Mm-hmm. Whereas for nicotine at the moment, there's really no uh, law. For vapes, yeah. Uh, so, sorry, for vaping. So mm-hmm. as a result of that, you're going to get young, younger people vaping. And we've seen that already. We, we're doing advocacy in primary schools. And we're seeing uh, young people as low as 10 years old starting to, to vape. So if you're going to start vaping at 10 and you continue this particular uh, in you know, quote unquote habit, as some people like to say it, until say what you're 17. That's seven years of being exposed to its nicotine. It, it you know it's really a no-brainer that they're going to be hooked until they're probably really old. So you know this is the kind of concern that we're having, uh, and we know from the research on cigarettes that young uh, adults rarely uh, even initiate smoking. To be fair, uh, and also similarly. Uh, I'm pretty sure that adults rarely uh, are going to consider vaping. Um, so it's really going to be the young people that you're attracting to start this journey uh, into this process, you know, and just thinking about it. Because I've been reflecting on this quite a bit because there's a lot of discussions about this called, this thing called generation in-game and why people are sort of against it. But actually from the data that we've seen, at least for cigarette use, it's, it's rare that we see, you know, adults really starting this habit. I mean, yeah, you've got them. You won't say it's not there, but it's not going to be in a large number of ways. It's always going to be young people. And I think that's why there's so many um, countries, not just ours, that uh, are really being concerned about putting certain acts on young people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Shaoyi, uh, this is where I think we would want to perhaps... Um, uh, it'd be useful to draw a comparison between a cigarette and a vape. Uh, device you know, in terms of nicotine. And uh, when you look at a, a cigarette, typically in a cigarette you have around maybe one milligram or 1.6 milligrams of nicotine per stick of cigarettes. And and in a pack of cigarettes, you can have maybe around 20 to 24 milligrams of, of nicotine. And it depends on um, what brand and, and the concentration and so mm-hmm. forth. Uh, that's for cigarettes. Now, when you look at a typical vape uh, device, especially disposable uh, in, in Malaysia, you find that the most common device out there are ones that contain 30 milligrams uh, per meal 
to around, I think, 50 milligrams of nicotine, and even sometimes even more than that. So the, the problem here is really the question of how much nicotine one can actually inhale in mm-hmm. and, and get from a few puffs. Mm. And obviously, in the same way that, that uh, you are smoking a cigarette or a pack of cigarettes, you, you're not necessarily going through the whole pack at, at one go. You know, you may spread it over a few days, a week or so. And the same thing is also for uh, vape. Now, the problem with vape is, and this is one that, that we've spoken to quite a number of people uh, about it, is that unlike cigarettes, which with a stick of cigarettes, once it burns out, that's it. You, yep. know, you, you actually have to take up another stick. Uh, but for a vape pen, which is uh, a disposable at around, say, 3 or 5 milligrams or 3 or 5% of nicotine, you possibly may not put down that pen mm-hmm. for quite a long time. So you can have like hundreds of puffs in a single sitting, which could exceed far more than several sticks of cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And this is where it's very important because it actually uh, feeds into the addiction that, that Prof. Amir has been emphasizing earlier. And so you find that uh, for a vape user, the chances of absorbing more nicotine as compared to a cigarette is actually higher because in a single sitting, you can have hundreds of puffs. And that's where you might see on the packaging or the marketing of uh, vape pens now, uh, it is promoting thousands of puffs. Yep. You know, like Tens two, of thousands. Tens, exactly. I, you know, I originally uh, cited, I think, around two, 3,000 puffs like, a few months ago, and then I saw something that had 10,000 puffs. Yeah, yeah agree. So uh, this is where perhaps I want to go and, and touch on the fact that because of, of what's happening in, in Malaysia today, especially with the lack of any regulations or laws that govern uh, nicotine use in vape and e-cigarettes, Malaysia's situation cannot be compared with any other country in the world. Because in those countries, like in, in Australia, UK, New Zealand, but even in Indonesia, our neighbour, they have laws and regulations that actually put a cap as to the maximum level of concentration that you can have available uh, in these devices. Mm. And that is, in most countries, two or three. But in Malaysia, five is becoming the norm. It mm. used to be three. You know, it used to be I could find 1% to 3%, but today uh, the 3% is actually being replaced by the 5%. So there are stronger devices out there. And in countries which I mentioned, you cannot find the devices that are openly being sold to children, young people, uh, and people uh, in retail uh, in Malaysia. You know, you cannot find uh, in those countries. And that is what the lack of a law has done. Uh, because the sky's the limit. You don't have a limit as to how much percentage of nicotine you can put in these devices either. Mm. And I'm just concerned because if addiction is one issue, there is the possibility of fatalities that could result as a result of uh, nicotine poisoning. Uh, and you know, we're just hopefully not waiting for the first case uh, to come up before we start uh, putting regulations or perhaps even... Uh, banning disposables, like what has been done in other countries. Because today, disposables are slowly taking over the market of vape and e-cigarettes. If you look at the MVCC's own reports, it will show very clearly that actually the uh, disposables, which are you know being priced around 25, 35 ringgit, they're actually replacing uh, the open systems, 
which are much more cheaper and they come in with different flavors like you know like tutti frutti menthol so mm-hmm. candy mm-hmm. chocolate you know and all that so mm-hmm. it's a policy gap here uh, shall it you know that we're seeing with real repercussions uh, that are going to be uh, reflected in health outcomes for years to come all right we'll go for another quick break and come back to continue our discussion about vaping in malaysia joining me in the studio is associate professor dr amir Sidek, consultant psychiatrist and on zoom my co-host for this public health segment azrul muhammad khalib from the galen center for health and social policy stay tuned we'll be right back on bfm 89.9 Welcome back to Health and Living. I'm T. Shao Ik. And this is our public health show today with my co-host, Azrul Mohamed Khalib, CEO of the Galen Centre for Health and Social Policy. And joining us on the discussion today is Associate Professor Dr. Amir Siddiq, Chief Coordinator for University Malaya Centre for Addiction Sciences. And we're discussing one particular addiction today. That's nicotine addiction, especially coming from vape use, which we are seeing increasing among young people and children in Malaysia largely due to the way that the products are marketed and packaged in our country. Dr. Amir, um, from a treatment perspective, uh, because at the end of the day, what your work is uh, in looking at treating addiction, is it going to be more difficult to treat um, nicotine addiction that com- that's coming from vape use? Well, I think before we go to the treatment, I want to just again concur with what um, Azro had mentioned just now. In fact, I just came back from the big conference SRNT in, in London this year. And there's a huge discussion about this uh, among the researchers. In fact, when we share our own experiences in Malaysia, uh, it sounds absurd uh, to a number of these researchers that we had opted not to have anything done. Um, and I think the case that Azra has put across uh, sort of highlights some of the issues. One, uh, with regards to nicotine, the duration, the dose, the frequency is going to definitely increase. Uh, we've already seen, as Azra had mentioned, there's no cap, there's no limit. Uh, and, you know, he mentions about the nicotine delivery device. You know, I call it a drug delivery device because we've also had reports of people including illicit drugs inside these mm-hmm. Um, you know, either closed or open systems. And and even the closed system, to be fair, you know, it's like some of the capsule um, coffee that we have. You know, you've got the supposedly closed system in, in this particular typical brands. You've also got people that have given alternatives where you can put your own grounded coffee in. And they've done the same thing. <laughs> you know, I was talking to some of the um, individuals who have problems with addiction many years ago, and they said, Dr., Selagi kita boleh, kita akan buat. You know? yeah. So for individuals who are struggling with an addiction, they, they find ways to, to actually even manipulate these closed systems as well. But at least the closed system gives some level of security for most of the people. But at the moment for us, there's no system. Uh, and I think Azra had mentioned very clearly as well in terms of the harm uh, towards young people, there is no um, regulation at all. There's something called a Child Youth Appeal Index that was discussed quite at large uh, during this conference that I went. And one of the things that they found is that if you're going to have the branding that we're having right now, the ones that he's mentioned just now about 10,000 puffs and, you know, colors and chocolatey taste and certain words that come out, then uh, they appeal to young people. Uh, my discussion, my, my thoughts about this when I was uh, 
thinking about it when over there was if an individual really, as the studies has the ones that we've seen, cite that individuals who are vaping among adults want to quit smoking, I'm pretty sure that I don't know about Azro, but I'm, I don't really care whether it's a chocolate fruity taste. I, I just want to quit my addiction, <laughs> right? I, I don't really care whether it's going to be in a SpongeBob. Uh, packaging or, you know, a packaging that looks like a lollipop because I want to quit my vaping. Uh, I don't really care whether the color is green or blue uh, or red because I, I just want to quit my vaping problem. Um, so the fact that you're, you're, you're putting these devices claiming that they appeal to adults, I, I find some trouble looking at this because when you look at that CY. Uh, a index. Uh, a lot of the current branding really appeals to youth or young yeah. people or children, children. to be fair. Yeah. Uh, and I think this is where sometimes we forget the narrative. Uh, if you wanted to even use it for a harm reduction product, it was not meant at all for um, young people. It was meant for adults that want to that are already addicted towards nicotine through cigarettes that now want to move towards quitting. Uh, using uh, products that are evidence-based but doesn't have any level of uh, unnecessary branding or um, appeal uh, to those that are not in their group. Uh, so th this would be one of the things. So if you're looking into the treatment, so this is where the gap is as well in terms of treatment. Um, there is a gap in terms of treatment. However, in this conference, there's hope. There's a lot of new... Um, or presently available treatments that have shown to be able to assist people who are now addicted towards vaping uh, to move themselves away from vaping, uh, both on the pharmacological sense or the medication sense and also from the behavioral aspects as well. Um, but at the moment, uh, I think this is a big area for research and I think this is the other concern. So now you've got uh, a situation where you've got a product that the uh, treatment modality uh, is still being, you know, uh, researched at great detail. We don't actually have like a, an established um, protocol at the moment uh, in terms of uh, treating uh, individuals who are vaping. A lot of the uh, information that we're getting is inference from smoking. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as Azrul had highlighted, it's actually two different things, uh, to be fair. Yes, there's nicotine in both products. But they are, they are a little bit different in the way that they deliver the, um, the nicotine. Uh, there's a little bit of difference in terms of how they appeal. The population also is slightly different because we're getting a bit more younger individuals that are on it. And if you look at all the uh, treatments that are available at the moment, they don't. Um, most of them are not really indicated for young people. So now you've got this situation where you know you have treatments that might be helpful, but they're not meant for the population that's currently struggling with this new addiction that we are seeing. So you know there's a lot of area for us to do some work in this space. But as I shared, there's hope because there are treatments that are available for adults that want to quit the vaping, particularly because there are also adults that have you know the 34 percent of young people that exclusively vape, some of them have decided that they want to quit mm -hmm. and now they're trying to figure out how to quit and we're trying to figure out with them how can we actually assist them to quit. So this is some of the kind of um, areas that we're looking at at the moment. So what happens now, right, when a young adult comes to you saying they want to quit their vape addiction um, regardless of the lack of, you know, sort of evidence-based nicotine uh, treatment therapies for vape particularly, 
there must be still something you can do for them. Oh, definitely. I mean, I mean, like I said, most of the data that we're having at the moment is inferred from the um, smoking cessation information. Um, and we've been able to assist individuals. And if we wanted to be uh, a little bit more um, creative uh, in assisting them further, we'll discuss with them and their family members. Again, when we talk about young people, we often have to also get assent, um, consent from the parents as well, often, uh, in terms of helping them to quit. And there are methods that we can actually suggest to both parent and also the person, child who's actually addicted on how we may be able, be able to appeal to them. But what I'm saying is that in terms of the evidence at the moment, there's a lot of area for us to work on in trying to get a, you know, the best protocol for individuals to be able to quit their vaping. Are you actually seeing, is the, is the nicotine or addiction treatment fraternity in Malaysia seeing young people coming to seek treatment? Oh, yes, yes. I mean, you know, in terms of, uh, in terms of young people, uh, our referrals will come from not only uh, parents, uh, sometimes it might even come from the child itself, but now we've got a number of teachers that come from, I mean, we've, you've heard even as, I think recently as two, three days ago, I just read about another kid who apparently was vaping at school and was kicked out of school as a result of their vaping. You know, we're having this kind of issues as well that's happening. And of course, some of the concerned teachers are wanting uh, us or others to come forward and assist uh, children uh, who are vaping uh, to actually quit. So yes, we're getting a number of referrals. And I think if you're talking to uh, medical doctors in the clinic Kesihatan, they're having a number also of people coming forward uh, requesting for some assistance. Yeah, and that definitely um, gives you proof that um, you, you're not even talking about long-term impact. You're, you're talking about impact already yeah, on kids. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Prof. Amir, you, you mentioned quite a lot of things there that as policymakers, as uh, decision makers, we should be worried about. And uh, I cannot agree with you enough about the uh, looming threat of uh, narcotic vape uh, that's coming in. Um, not too long ago, uh, Channel News Asia Singapore did a special feature about what's happening in Indonesia where uh, basically there is adulterated nicotine where it's being added in with uh, cannabis, yep. uh, meth, amphetamines and different substances which are considered illicit drugs. And how easy it was to be able to do that, whether it's a closed or open system. And uh, shockingly enough, uh, PDRM, uh, the Police Diraja Malaysia, has actually uh, indicated as uh, far back as several years ago that these products were already available mm. uh, in Malaysia and that they themselves were worried uh, that uh, you know, it's so easy for there to be uh, a modification to these devices that uh, you can actually now be puffing up, uh, you know, cannabis openly, but it smells like tutti frutti, you know, and people think you're just vaping, mm. but actually you're you're getting a high and so forth, and and that's uh, quite worrying because it's now possible to disguise uh, the smell of illicit drugs through the use of nicotine and vape e-cigarettes. So that's something uh, for us to be uh, concerned about. I wanted to just mention again about the the call for regulation. Now, interestingly, um, the industry themselves have actually called for the regulations to be put into place. And I think this is very important because sometimes the discussion seems to pit, uh, you know, regulators and Ministry of Health or mm. health advocates such as yourself, clinicians against the industry. But actually in this particular case, 
the industry themselves want to see these products to be regulated, and they've made a, a strong case uh, for this. They don't want to ban, but they want it to be regulated. And one of the things that they've called on is to have a cap on the nicotine strength to 40 milligrams per mil for nicotine. On the face of it, it sounds reasonable, except that the level that they're calling for, Double. for there to be a cap, is actually twice the level that other countries which are currently regulating vape and e-cigarettes. So essentially, Malaysia, even though when you regulate, <laughs> you're regulating at a much more higher end, which means there will be more people uh, who are actually newly addicted to nicotine rather than less of. So, uh, you know, maybe, uh, Prof, your thoughts on this? Well, I think, first of all, um, you know, is there a role uh, for it in the landscape at the moment? There possibly is a role, right? I mean, we can't deny that if you're talking about the levels of harm of cigarettes, then the e-cigarettes might be those that are slightly lesser harmful than cigarettes, uh, at least from the point of view of individuals who are smoking at the moment, yeah, that 21% or so of Malaysians at the moment. Um, if we're looking at it uh, from a point of view of uh, quit smoking, there seems to be some data that suggests that it might assist uh, individuals to quit among people who are already addicted to nicotine. And again, they might move towards it uh, at least as a, as, a, as a form of something that's maybe slightly less harmful. Now, the problem will be in terms of we are targeting adults who are smoking uh, and the data seems to suggest that people who claim to be uh, using e-cigarettes among this adult population want to use it to quit smoking. And I think this is where we need to regulate the present electronic cigarettes to assist individuals that are moving in this direction genuinely. And I think this is where we discussed just now, and I just purposely put it across to the, you know, the audience here. If you are an individual who is a smoker... You are currently the age of 30 to 50, maybe 60 years old, uh, and you genuinely want to quit. And you found that there is a product that might be slightly less harmful, might be able to assist you moving towards that direction. You know, do you need it to have names like Tutti Frutti? Do you need it to have uh, a shape like SpongeBob? Do you need it to be sold openly in the warungs uh, or maybe in front of schools? I think the answer is going to be no, because your aim was to quit smoking. So one of the suggestions for regulations that have been put across other countries have been slightly hard regulation. In fact, like Australia, I think it's almost like prescription-based yeah. uh, electronic cigarettes that are available for genuine smokers who want to quit. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, for the, for the industry which, to be... Which, by the way, can I just add, doesn't mean that kids are not getting it because in Australia, kids are still getting it. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's still that, but there's going to be a little bit more uh, control mm. compared to what we're having. Just like cigarettes, people are still smoking, but the numbers are not as many. Um, and of course, you've been able to cap it to a certain level, not like what we're seeing right now. Yeah. So that's one uh, question that uh, was, we, we ask. The second one would be, if it is meant for quit smoking, uh, then it should be uh, put under, because it's a device, a, medicine, a medical device, and go through all the rigors of a medical device. Because the next question that I asked before is, in terms of harm, and this is a question I'm going to ask back to Azrul, if the, the product blows up, yeah, if you have a medication and you take it and there's a problem, there are certain steps that you can do to, to, uh, to get some level of um, at least support, if not compensation. Tapi kalau if the product 
blows up in your face. Is it the same now? Or is it going to be a consumer device where you go to the consumer tribunal? I mean, this is a question. Who's going to be uh, liable uh, to that that situation now that your face, half of it is not there? For example, the old devices, not the new devices. Um, and if you happen to be um, uh, addicted towards a substance, like some medications, you know, you might lead to addiction and it might, you know, there, there are certain controls that we are able to put in place because there are certain gatekeepers. What about what about this product now that leads individuals to be addicted? Now you're addicted. You started it at you know a certain age, and then you're now addicted, and you're saying that hey, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't plan for this. Who do you who do you uh, complain to next? I mean, these are the kind of questions that uh, under a medicine act, uh, you have all these kind of rigors that you ask, you know, and under the medical devices act, all these things are thought about. You know who controls the quality, the product, the, the the you know the material, all these kind of things are asked. But we don't. I don't think we have that at the moment with regards to what's available, electro, at least on the electronic cigarette device area. So I think these are the kind of questions that I ask. And then, of course, the most important one is who's the target audience for this device? It's going to be adults. So our narrative and our thought about these devices for adults is going to be far different from the discussion we're having right now about Tutti Frutti, for example. Because it's really catering to you and me who want to quit smoking because uh, at the end of the day, like I shared before, with the present available nicotine replacement therapies, for example, they have nicotine in them. They've been available for at least 30, 40 years now. We don't see or hear of people having you know, a crisis and being addicted to this product because these, these are controlled only for smokers who wants to quit in a very regulated manner. So if you wanted to, my opinion, if you wanted to have this, uh, these devices available for people who genuinely want to quit, then you've got to really look at it from that point of view to assist people who are smoking that want to quit because to be fair to the evidence, there is evidence to suggest that it might help uh, smokers who wants to quit but it needs to have all these kind of regulations that we're talking about at the moment, not like what we're having right now, which to me is like a free-for-all uh, mm. cowboy town. Yeah. You never hear of a nicotine gum or nicotine patch crisis, right? Uh, Azrul, very quickly. Well, though. You know, we're going to see serum uh, chops on uh, vape and e-cigarettes if we were to regulate them because uh, they are devices that need to have a certain standard for safety and so forth. That could be something... Uh, that uh, will probably happen in the future. Uh, it seems like Tutti and Futi and SpongeBob is not getting a good day today. But um, just a final note. <laughs> I know. Just uh, one thing uh, on the final one from me, really, is uh, a question uh, that has come up several times now. Should vape, nicotine vape and e-cigarettes be treated the same way we treat uh, tobacco products such as cigarettes today with... Um, uh, large percentage of taxation, uh, prohibitive uh, measures against advertising, endorsements, um, sales, you, you know, you can't sell it near schools, etc. Uh, yes and no uh, from you, Prof. And why isn't it already happening? Well, definitely the answer is going to be yes, because we definitely don't want it to be sold as openly as it is at the moment. It needs to be at least a minimum cigarette. Better still, if you want it to go to the medical level, Act, which is even more rigor, because you need to have evidence. Uh, and as far as I remember, there was 
um, you know, there was a call by I think one of our ex uh, minister of health for people to come forward and bring proposals for them to look at uh, evidence in terms of quit smoking. But I don't think anybody's taken up that challenge. So that's definitely one. Number two is I don't know why we don't have it at the moment uh, yet. I think. You know, we should have had it the moment we decided to not have nicotine, uh, you know, removed, nicotine removed from the act, I guess, or even much earlier, many, many years ago when we were already uh, narrating about this. You know, if you're following the evidence, to be fair, Azrul, sometimes the policies do change with the current evidence if there's some level of benefit for the rakyat, right? Because every country is different uh, and the policies should reflect on that. Uh, but at the moment, we have none for this issue that we're discussing. So all these ideas that we're putting across, all the concerns that we're putting across, all the benefits, if there are any that we're putting across, there is no regulation at the moment, uh, nor any policy that we can that I can that I'm aware of with regards to this. And I think we should have had it long time ago before that we're having this discussion today. Can I wrap up with a message from each of you? Um, and this one's not about policy. It's not about um, the lack of regulations. I, I want you to speak to the young people who are probably right now vaping or thinking of picking it up um, because it's uh, either safer or cooler than smoking. Uh, what do you want to say to them? Well, my, my message to our young people would be don't start smoking or vaping uh, if you can um, avoid it, yeah, because you're really setting yourself up for a long journey of addiction. Uh, and sadly, uh, for some of you, uh, you might actually start to experiment with other problems and there's a whole lot of life in front of you that you just don't want to mess up so early in your young, young lives. Uh, it's a tough one, really, but we are adults and uh, we need to make informed decisions uh, concerning the choices and decisions we make. And I think young people, uh, too, are adults. And I feel that uh, they should be aware of the facts concerning uh, nicotine, vape and e-cigarettes uh, for them to be able to uh, make the decision whether or not to start because, as mentioned by Prof. Amir, it will be the beginning of a long journey uh, where it will inevitably begin and end with nicotine addiction. And we don't know when it will end. And so for a lot of people who started cigarettes, it's a lifelong journey um, and one that may never end. So we don't know when, if you are become addicted to nicotine through vape, we don't know when that journey will end. For, for you. So I, I hope that we don't start uh, and make good informed decisions and choices. Thank you so much um, to Azrul and Dr. Amir for joining me for the discussion today. Associate Professor Dr. Amir Siddiq, Consultant Psychiatrist and Chief Coordinator for UM's Centre for Addiction Sciences and Azrul Mohamed Khalib, CEO of the Galen Centre for Health and Social Policy on today's episode of Public Health on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the VFM app.